Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 183 for Monday, March 7th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me, as always, is my good friend Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, that is my name, but if you're wondering about usernames like three goats in a trench coat, then you should listen to The Renter Distance, which is the extended version of the podcast that our patrons get access to. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And it is the first episode of March, which means we'd like to thank everyone for continuing their support, making uh, this show possible. It is uh, a great deal to us that uh, everyone that is a part of our Patreon membership is supporting us. It, it makes the show possible. It's super, super fun for us. Uh, we are currently above the milestone goal for March, which is the monthly Minecraft Hangout. Patrons can keep an eye in the Discord for when that will be scheduled. And another perk coming a little bit later in April will be the first quarterly Hangout of 2022. Date and time for that will be determined, but that is essentially where we sit down and go over how the podcasting is doing, how we're growing, our plans for the future, that kind of stuff. And that happens uh, once a quarter. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great time to be a patron of the show. And once again, thanks to everybody who has hopped on board lately. Um, what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? What's new on the Citadel? So I have spent uh, a few, uh, I'll say streams, because I got a couple of bonus things in the other week, uh, finishing up the stone bridge that I mentioned uh, last week on the show. Uh, and then I have moved on to um, build what I'm calling Low Town. I can't think of a better name for it. Essentially, in all the riverscaping I did recently, I uh, finished off the landscaping around a lower part of the southern end of the city. And it is going to be kind of like a fishing village, fishing shanty town that's outside the walls. So it's not inside the city walls, but it's just outside of that. Uh, but it is sheltered by the river, which basically surrounds it on three sides with the, the gate on the on the fourth north side. And so I've been trying to build uh, smaller houses, single room dwellings, houses uh, like uh, no upstairs, like just kind of like single purpose places mm -hmm. uh trying to build them close together it looks a little bit wonky from above uh the map mod that i use often to lay things out because there are alleyways and they are separated by roads you can't see from the top down because the roofs visually they would touch from above but they don't touch when you're there because there might be a block between them but then the road is brown and the roofs are brown so everything kind of looks like one big blob uh but it, it's been fun to kind of work at that scale. I'm learning some new tricks about like really small dormers or windows using trapdoors, uh, figuring out how to make a bunch of different roofs together that are all kind of like rustic medieval looking and have it not all be spruce. You know, like mm -hmm. you kind of have yeah. like how many different patterns and roof colors can I figure out? Um, the only thing that I'm not super happy with is the texture that I ended up going with on the um the building that is um i guess a grain silo on the river it's got this really cool crane like hand crane to lift wheat out of the out of the boats and stuff in the river which is cool but it i went with deep slate uh on the roof uh and i went with um i think now basalt i don't have a screenshot of the latest but i went with basalt and tough on the side it's just so much darker than everything around it it really stands out mm -hmm. but i i couldn't find a way to do it with wood that didn't look like it's going to just blend in with everything else around it so um there are a lot of challenges to building like five or six houses all next to each other and trying to make them look like they match what you're doing thematically but be different you know yeah. like i'm not i'm not throwing in pops of red and green and blue for color because that doesn't make sense for 
people that are so poor they're probably not bothering to paint their houses you know like that kind of stuff yeah sure so, and it's it's interesting that there's not a great deal of what feel like cheap looking materials in minecraft a lot of that comes from its own yeah. it, its natural kind of association that you build up through gameplay like we always talk about oak and cobblestone feeling like day one minecraft right mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so so i find that yeah you end up defaulting to those materials a lot and especially if you're building this small there's not a huge amount you can end up doing stylistically that's going to separate it from the massive townhouses beyond just yeah making the walls a little bit more flat and plain looking which isn't always what you want to do because you want to have these things still have some character even if the character is this place looks a bit run down exactly and so the tricks that i've been coming up with are you know different shapes to the buildings definitely building things on angles which makes it difficult but at least it's it it keeps the shapes more interesting even if they yeah. are the same textures um and and something that is a nice tool that i've been using and trying not to overuse is like the thatched roof which works better for me because i do have a custom texture on my hay bale block yeah but a combination of hay bale stripped spruce and stripped oak logs uh looks pretty good as a thatched roof and it breaks it up from the other things that you might have to use as roofs um i need to get better at finding and using blocks for roof material as opposed to defaulting to stairs mm -hmm. because when i default the stairs you're basically stuck with wood and stone gray and brown um you've got if you're doing a fantasy situation you can delve into all kinds of cool stuff like the crimson woods and prismarine and quartz but if you're doing like kind of a more of a rustic medieval situation like i am then you end up in a bit of a bottleneck and i'm glad that you brought up like materials looking fancier or or richer um, because just because of its dark nature and because I've used it in roofs in fancier buildings, it feels like deep slate is a fancier block to me. Yeah. Because I've used it in fancier areas of the town already. Had I not done that, had I started my deep slate use in low town, I might be thinking of deep slate as like sub cobblestone. Right. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, my brain is just like, ah, it just looks too fancy. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of elevated it in your own yeah. sort of building style. And that's fine. And it, it it's that kind of stuff that can help you create those thematic associations. But then it has the potential to, you know, cause issues later on when you're deciding what else to yeah. what else to build out of these these houses. It can work in your benefit, too. You know, like you can if you've got that theme and you, you're using that block as mostly roof then people don't think of it as anything other than roof tile when they look at your build overall. Like you can yeah. kind of have people's brains associate a block with a material by consistently using it in the right way. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of also feeds into that game design sort of idea of a specific material pointing your way to something. Like if you wanted people to follow a certain path through the town, then you know they tend to follow something that's got a specific trail of different types of blocks or if these blocks kind of look the same then that sort of leads the players in that you know in that direction in the same way that you'll find that in action games these days there's a lot of like yellow paint on surfaces that you can jump to or climb up or something like that because you know game designers have decided that that's a good way of signposting this is something you should pay attention to and so you create those associations through blocks that you use in minecraft if you're say yeah building something out of deep slate tile and it looks a little bit fancier and you're using it in a context that feels fancier then people are going oh i'm heading over to the rich part of town okay like let me follow all of the mm. houses that have this specific type of roof or that kind of thing it guides the player through it as an experience more 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do find it challenging to work at this scale. So it's taking quite a while. I think I've probably got another stream before I'm done with this, like section of the town, which is like, basically I've, I've filled in, there's a road that goes to the river and there's the road that comes off of the bridge, which creates this, not a triangle, but it creates like a pie wedge of, of low town. So I'm trying to finish that up in a series of, of streams. And so I, I've, I've got one more because there's a, there's a building that's on the water that I just, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And so I know because of the lack of palette decision uh, and the fact that it's a smaller build, which is challenging sometimes um, to do like interior design and get all the details looking right. I'm probably, I've probably got another stream left on this particular section, but I'm looking forward to filling it in because like I've spent this long on one building in other parts of, of the town. So mm -hmm. spending this long on six buildings and having them all raised, sometimes two in a stream is great. You really feel like you're progressing quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a good feeling. I I wish I had that feeling right now with my uh, my dripstone cave, but it's oh. <laughs> slow. It's slow going, and I think the thing about this is it's a building on the surface versus building in a cave kind of thing. You don't see as much of the progress from the outside in the cave. There's a lot of the landscape itself that is blocking other things that I could be seeing from different angles, rather than it all being effectively you know open to the sky. And it means that stuff like sightlines are naturally built in. I'm not having to do as much like terraforming and building just to make sure that you can see certain landmarks from different areas. But I've now built a, a crane in the center of this whole thing. The one I was talking about last week that's based on a uh, an anno piece that I that I found on, on Google Image Search. And that's more or less come together. But that blocks off the back half of the cave from really being seen because I wanted to build it in a a size on a scale that looked kind of substantial but now i'm building stuff behind that and i'm starting to figure out in the fiction of this world what paths have people laid down they've got a kind of um like a raised decking kind of approach to keeping stuff off the cave floor either so it doesn't get damp or so that you know it's at least carving out paths for them to travel around and you know wheelbarrows to move through so that it's not kind of bouncing against the the floor of the cave and whatnot so i'm working on a bit of infrastructure in there and it feels like slow going perhaps more so than it would do if i was building on the surface because i'm not able to just look at it from the top down and see everything like it's all in this admittedly fairly large enclosure and i have to get a very specific angle on it to be able to see everything from the top down it's interesting as players that we very often as builders want to back up and look at something from above. I do it all the time. Yeah. And and yet anybody else on the server and you being in the single player world, like I mean, you see it most of the time from two meters off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just such a funny thing that like, you know, because artists do it as well. Like when you're drawing something or, or painting something, you generally want to take a step back and make sure you're not being sucked into like the details of like, you know, the 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 scales on a fish's body or something like that when you really you're painting an entire seascape and you should be thinking about like the whole the whole thing yeah um, but i find it interesting with minecraft that you kind of want to you want to push your chair back a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you know? I've, I've been thinking about that in this cave now because i'm working a bit more on terraforming bits and pieces here and there i've decided that just having stone and dripstone everywhere admittedly there's the other decorative stone types but there's something missing from that equation and i don't like the way that the dripstone and the stone blend together a whole lot so i was starting to shop around for different blocks that could potentially bridge that gap 
and I settled on dead fire coral. <laughs> um, and I was doing an episode about coral anyway and figured, you know, we'd do a field trip and we'd go out looking for a warm ocean, talk about conduits and have one of those help to mine the coral blocks, which is a huge difference. Like, I had forgotten how much of a difference it makes even having, you know, an Aqua Affinity helmet. You turn on a conduit and suddenly you're harvesting blocks way faster because it gives you a bit of a speed boost to mining underwater. Uh, so that conduit is now in the aquifer that's in this dripstone cave, and I'm potentially going to use that to do some some mining and diving and going to find some of those ores that aren't exposed to the open air but might have generated near you know, adjacent to the water in an aquifer. Um, but the fire coral, if it dies, is a really nice... And it's it's got that kind of reddish undertone that we've talked about. It's not like super... It's not going to stand out as much as the live block does, but... It, even all of the coral blocks have that slightly warmer than stone gray kind of color to them and i find that makes a really interesting bridge between dripstone and stone the only problem being that the grain of the fire coral block runs north south while stone and dripstone have those streaks that run east west and so as long as you step back from it like we were saying it makes for quite a nice color gradient between dripstone and regular stone because it loses a bit of the warmth as it transitions into the gray of the stone color. So I've been putting that together with maybe a bit of granite as well and maybe some andesite instead of regular stone and it makes quite a nice gradient. So I'm, I'm decorating some of the, the natural dripstone features on the cave floor and the pillars and stuff in there with uh, a bit of dead fire coral now. <laughs> and while it feels a bit savage to you know, take all of this coral out of its natural habitat and kill it for the sake of aesthetics, it's, you know, potentially something that I can get from the wandering trader if I need a couple more blocks here and there, and it's it's working. It's looking pretty good in the cave right now. That's awesome. Uh, one of the other blocks, which you probably have tried, I think it's white terracotta looks pretty good with dripstone. It's got that kind of pink, like, undertone yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, that yep. kind of, uh, yeah. And and granite, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's a bit of granite in there already that I've been working with. And oh, it, cool. It looks good on the other side of the, the dripstone block from the, the lighter ones that I'm working with, like the stone-type uh, colors and the fire corals. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to work with bits and pieces of that here and there. Mainly, I just want to make sure that it's not all kind of... It doesn't feel sort of monochromatic in the background when I'm building stuff in front of it. If I'm building with more stone type colors like i've been avoiding building with stone bricks and that kind of thing because i don't think it stands out all that well in this cave but now i've got something that blends with the dripstone a little more has that reddish undertone to it i think it it actually helps some of the colder stone brick textures stand out a bit more and aside from that i've been farming nether foliage and glow lichen because i think both of those are going to form a pretty substantial part of how i decorate this area not necessarily going for nether mushroom like big nether fungus to be growing in there but i want to use warped and crimson wood a whole bunch and then glow lichen is fantastic for lighting up some of the areas of this cave that i don't want to put torches in the big crane that i was building is mostly like the the arm of the crane is made out of polished deep slate and i didn't want to just spam torches on the top of that i've got a lantern hanging from one end that doesn't light the middle of the crane before it reaches the the platform the crane arm is attached to and so I decided to put some glow lichen in the center because it's going to provide a radius of seven spawn-proof blocks now. And right. that actually lights it up to a point where it's not 
glowing it's not standing out so much it still feels like a a natural ambient light from whatever else is in the cave but it means that that area ends up being spawn proof which is ideal because that's where all the creepers were dropping from while i was trying to work on the cave floor uh so i think it's it's working quite well for me so far and i'm i'm looking forward to using glow lichen in larger patches because i think that's really where it starts to starts to feel like it's growing over one spot and thriving and that tends to work a lot better i think i watched that that episode with the glow lichen and it's really effective in terms of like providing some texture but also providing some light and doesn't scream at you in the same way that torches and lanterns and um i've been struggling with trying to find ways to get lower lighting to maintain some cool kind of like um it's dark you know it's medieval times uh and candles are great but you can only use them in so many different places because you can't hang them from things uh and then lanterns are just kind of like neon lights at this point yeah yeah you know, when you're trying to make things look dark and uh, I think like, well, you know, I could always use a, a soul fire lantern, but then it's blue and I might not want, you know, that specific thing, you know, to to be blue. Like I want more of a, a warm glow, even though the light in Minecraft is all the same, really, because um, we don't have colored light in Java. But yeah, um, one of the tricks that I've been doing is like taking something like a lantern uh, and then like hiding it in the floor by two blocks mm -hmm. and putting yeah. either carpet over top of it. Or I don't know if on the crane or if any of the places in your dripstone cave, there's spots where you could like put a lantern in the wall and then cover it with like a trap door or something like that. Um, Cause that could, that could help. I, technical question. I know that upside down stairs block light now, right? Um or is it, it upside down, or is it just slabs? I mean, it's it's tricky because it's basically the solid faces of anything that's not a solid block will still block light. So, like, right. if you if you've got a slab level with the floor, then it's still going to block light. But if you've got uh, you've got a a glowstone block and a slab horizontally adjacent to each other, then the gaps in the slab are still going to let the light through. This right. is on Java okay. edition because I believe on Bedrock edition slabs still let light through no matter what. Um, but I think yeah, the 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 ways of hiding light, you still need to be able to see part of the light coming through a block like that in order for it to to actually register as light. Right. Because the, the question that I had, which would look cool in like a mining sort of situation, would be like if you had put any kind of light source that suits your fancy into the wall, but put a stair kind of like sideways in the wall so that you end up with that quarter block hole you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. that see like if that would let light through then you you might be able to do that in a way that would either look like a natural light source would look like a glowing mineral in the wall or just not have a lantern just kind of like smack in the middle of some yeah. place or a torch you know yeah, and, and allow absolutely. that light to kind of travel through that that's that's probably what i'll end up doing around the uh, the cave wall the problem is there's so much empty space that i'm still trying to build stuff in that it's like how do i light something that's built smack in the middle of this cave and is about you know 20 or so blocks tall right it, yeah. it doesn't have a great deal of natural surface around it that you could do that with but yeah there, there are so many different ways of lighting it and i'm learning to trust light a lot more like there being dark spaces in my builds was always obviously a thing where you'd go okay and it needs a torch there just for spawn proofing and you'd put it there as a matter of course whereas now i have lanterns hanging from you know sort of natural lamppost looking things spaced out every maybe 15 or so blocks and there are dark spots on the diagonals which look like they are the darkest spot in the place but it's still light level one on that block so i know something isn't going to spawn directly there 
and nice. it, it allows for that ambience and i'm starting to build up a bit more of a tolerance for what that means and how i can use that in builds so it's a slow process but i'm, I'm learning to trust light in 118 a lot more at this point Oh, I've double-checked all kinds of dark corners in these little medieval houses. I've got two candles on a table, and I'm just mm -hmm. like, surely I need another candle. So I throw up the F3 screen and walk over to the absolute opposite corner of the room, and I go, huh, look at yeah. that, and light level still, one. And, it, <laughs> and sometimes it's still like light level three or five or something, but to somebody who's been playing yeah. Minecraft for years, it still looks too dark. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Be afraid bizarre. of the dark, always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of being afraid of the dark, let's move on to the news because Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta and Preview 1.18.30.20 or 2.1 if you're on the uh, the preview version. The preview version has like one extra digit difference, but it's the same content. Uh, that has come to uh, to Bedrock Edition this week, and that's the only really major news item. Um, we're bringing in Skulk Blocks at this stage and don't need to worry about waking the warden yet, according to the post on feedback.minecraft.net. We'll have that in our show notes, so this is quoted from that. Take the opportunity to get familiar with the Skulk Block family in peace, thanks to this beta, but don't get too comfortable. The warden will be joining the Deep Dark eventually. Some experimental features for the first time. The Skulk Shrieker has been tweaked a bit in preparation for the arrival of the warden. Shriekers will now listen to Skulk Sensor Tendril clicking, and the threat level which causes the Warden to spawn in future will now decrease over time. There's some non-experimental features and bug fixes that are being trialed in this beta and preview. There are several crashes that could occur during gameplay and some crashes on Android devices when you suspend or resume the app. Those should have been ironed out. Armor toughness has been added, so diamond armor and netherite armor now have a toughness value of 2 and 3 respectively. This will be familiar to anybody who's played Java Edition since those materials were, uh, you know, adjusted when netherite was introduced. Uh, they have tweaked the armor reduction calculation to account for armor toughness. Netherite armor will now reduce more damage than diamond armor, which apparently it didn't before. They've lowered the amount of knockback resistance granted by netherite armor, fixed some issues in which damage invulnerability wasn't properly being applied, fixed an issue where protection enchantments mitigated too much damage, which is now changed to match Java Edition, and the protection enchantment now properly works on most damage types, where it might not have before. There is also a desync issue that could sometimes cause health to regenerate only visually and not, you know... Uh, practically, uh, and that has now been fixed along with punching dealing less damage to match Java Edition. Uh, so a lot of armor rebalancing and tweaking has gone into giving netherite armor the properties it has to players who are familiar with it on Java. Uh, the vertical field of view is no longer halved in horizontal split screen if you're playing on console and splitting your screen with somebody else who's got another controller. Uh, this makes items like the book and quill easier to view when you're playing in split screen. They've also tweaked the surrounding terrain for structures such as villages during world generation, which should make villages a little bit easier to spot. And TNT no longer disappears when ignited with the TNT explodes game rule disabled and the fire spreads game rule enabled. Couple of weird visual glitches happening with TNT there. There are a bunch more bug fixes and tweaks, of course, a lot of very minor stuff, a lot of stuff that's going to be interesting to people who take a more in-depth approach to Bedrock Edition. That's all available at feedback.minecraft.net. I've obviously never played Minecraft split screen because I'm mostly a solo Java player here mm -hmm. at home, but I have played Mario Kart split screen at my sister's place. But for whatever reason, I could wrap my head around that better than Minecraft split screen. I feel like Minecraft split screen would be hard. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I've done it a couple of times, and it's easier when you have a big TV and you have more than two players, because then it splits it into four, you know, separate things, or three uh. individual kind of more, you know, <laughs> closer to the aspect ratio we're used to playing Minecraft in. And, um, yeah, like, usually the, the fourth space will be blank if you only have three players, or with four players, you've all got your own little box. Whereas you have to kind of figure out what you want to do when it comes to displaying it with two players because horizontal split screen and vertical split screen are really good for a couple of different things obviously like if you're looking at horizontal split screen you can see more of the world around you so if you're going caving or something like that it's more useful to detect when mobs are going to sneak up on you whereas i think vertical field of view is like a lot better vertical split screen is a lot better when you're building stuff because you get to see the verticality of what you're building and you don't have to worry as much about not being able to see in your peripheral vision. So it really helps to go back and forth between those two when you're playing on console, but then that obviously changes the way things need to be displayed. And this is another example of one of the complexities of Bedrock that we just don't take into account very often as Java players, because you'll have people playing on, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, whatever consoles require split screen for that kind of approach, and it's it's a different world. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that we just don't need to worry about on Java Edition really at all. Yeah, so many of my multiplayer experiences in video games across the board have been on the internet. Very rarely yeah. have I done coach co-op. And I mean, part of that is just living alone. If I had, you know, if I had roommates or families or, you know, whatever um, that played video games, then, I, then I'm sure we'd have that happen more often. It makes me think about like even things like Forza that I play on a regular basis. I don't know what that would be like. I mean, because that's not a cartoony game. Like that's a pretty realistic game. And, mm -hmm. and part of that game is like being able to see the horizon and you know where you're going and reducing that would feel i feel like it would feel very gamey like it would feel more more of like an arcade game than it would be more of an immersive experience but um yeah I, I guess it all depends on what you have access to like people that grow up playing minecraft split screen just probably just like nah it's fine like you just, they probably mm -hmm. just you know are, are used to it um the thing that stood out to me in the notes for the bedrock news was the threat level uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when I was watching your playthrough that once the warden got to the point where it was summoned, any kind of disturbance would then summon it again. Yeah, that that's certainly been my experience having played it just that once in the snapshot. And I've, I've tinkered with the warden snapshot a couple of times since, but in more of a creative capacity. Right. And I don't know if that's in the Java Edition experimental snapshots already. It just says over time. It doesn't tell you how long. And mm -hmm. so it may be that I was just making enough noise on a regular enough basis that it didn't have time to decrease in the background. Because that may be right. a matter of like like a potion effect wearing off. It might take like eight minutes. It might take longer. Like mm -hmm. we don't necessarily know. Um, and I'm not sure how they would want to balance that. Like at what point... A player has been sneaking around a city quietly enough that they go oh okay they're probably being careful enough not to trip any more sensors we can lower the threat level and give them another strike back you know um 
So I'm curious about that. I don't know if that's something that's in the Java Edition experimental snapshots already, or if that's something they'll add in after they've had a bit more feedback from the Java Edition snapshots, and we'll see that in an upcoming 119 snapshot, uh, which, once again, we don't have any news on that yet. We don't know when they're going to be resuming the snapshot cycle for Java Edition, but one can hope soon, because we'll start to see other things popping up for 119, like mangroves and frogs coming to Java Edition and stuff like that soon. So cross your fingers and hope for more of that. The balance there would be tricky too, because you've got to think about like, it has to be long enough that it's not just easy for a player. Like if it's say, for example, if it was three minutes, um, I would just get up and walk away from the computer, uh-huh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. go, go refresh the tea or the coffee. And by the time you come back, you're safe. You're all good. Just like stand somewhere and don't move, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And, and so it have to be long enough that that would be inconvenient. You know, like if it was 10 or more minutes, like I wouldn't want to walk away from my gaming session for 10 minutes. I don't have that much time in the day, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it could also depend on you. They could tie it to something other than just raw time. They could tie it to distance traveled, for example. Like if they, if you've gone a hundred blocks or so since the last, thing then at least you're still exploring whilst also being quiet and maybe they could tie it to that i don't know from a technical perspective how difficult stuff like that is or how that could be exploited but kind of an interesting uh way of looking at it um just thinking about the warden coming to bedrock edition is making me excited to see people fight the warden in rtx and that's something that i might give it a try at some stage just to see how they can adapt some of the glowing elements we know that mobs themselves won't end up you know, emitting light so the glow squid doesn't emit light in RTX because entities emitting light is a a different thing to blocks doing it. But I am very excited to see the atmosphere that's created in the deep dark by the Warden and RTX because even stuff like skulk sensors will light up being blocks and they will provide a bit of light to their surroundings from what I tested. So yeah, it's it's going to be kind of fun seeing the Warden rumbling out of the darkness in this otherwise kind of day glow environment. And even the, the little twinkling kind of um, the the animated texture of the skulk blocks, they, they have like a little bit of glowing blue light to them that I think RTX pack makers have started to interpret as being emissive light. So yeah, we will we will see. Um, aside from that, I'm also surprised that Netherite didn't have all of its benefits on Bedrock Edition when it was released, the same way it did with with Java. So uh, knockback resistance and uh, armor toughness are only just being sort of recalculated at this point but then thinking about it i guess combat balancing is a little different on bedrock edition since it doesn't have the combat we've been used to on java since 1.9 with weapon cooldowns and different attack speeds and stuff like that so yeah remains to be seen how that's going to affect things on bedrock edition but hopefully people will enjoy their netherite armor that little bit more what do you say we work on some email yeah let's do it to email the show, you can write spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep the emails short and to the point. It increases your opportunity to be read on the show. First message comes in from Zettles, Ancient City Treasure, speaking of ancient cities. Hi, Pix and Joel. I just listened to your episode with Sliced Lime, and I had thought about an item for chests in ancient cities. What if, as a rare item or block, chests in ancient cities had a chance to contain something that could be added or used with a beacon that would prevent mob spawns within the radius of the beacon? The chests in ancient cities would be the only place to obtain the item or block, making it very difficult to get large quantities. There are some people in the game that might say, hold my beer, but I also (laughs) feel like this would be a tie-in with the fact that mobs in uh, other than the warden, of course, don't spawn in ancient cities. Zettles didn't have time to write a witty sign-off because, unfortunately, 
he was at work. <laughs> Just these people playing truant from work so they can write us an email. Well, we appreciate the email, Zettles. Thank you. Um, I have opinions about this suggestion, uh, so I'll let you go first. I think it would be a solid way to add endgame value to the warden encounter that we were talking about last week with regards to the mysterious frames in the middle of ancient cities and how to add something there that would appease kind of like the endgame players mm -hmm. um have it be not something trivial have it be something that be worth the warden encounter um having something to be added to a beacon that reduces mob spawns uh is something that i've heard a number of times in the community I'll point out that all of that was before 118 part two with the change in the lighting. Yes. Um, and so that's kind of already made a step in that direction. But I've seen it implemented by like, quote unquote, mega torches in mod packs. Mm -hmm. But those are really easy to make and you can put them everywhere. Uh, and I feel like putting something like this item that would change the way that a beacon functions or add something, add a new buff to a beacon uh that would uh, reduce mob spawns would be rare enough in an ancient city that i don't think it would necessarily be overpowered because it would be so rare um as long as it was something that you couldn't craft like you had to find uh similar how to how like you can't craft a nether star you have to get it from fighting the wither that kind of thing yeah see my opinion on this is that people vastly overestimate the radius of a beacon and I think it's largely because when you're using a beacon, most of the time you're using it for haste, right? Like, I think that's fairly fair to say at this point. It's the only status effect that you can't get from potions, really. And people, because they're mining out a large area, people seem to forget that the, radi the radius of a beacon is only 50 blocks all around it. And then obviously vertically it's, you know, anything above the beacon is basically covered in a cylinder up to world height. But... I think people are used to the idea of thinking a beacon's radius is larger because you walk back and forth into the radius to renew that haste effect, and then you can mine out a massive area because you've got 16 seconds worth of haste and you can just go away down like a, a corridor and then come back and mine out the walls. And people mine out areas underground that are much larger than the radius of a beacon, and they think, a beacon has helped me do all of this. The beacon's radius must be like a hundred blocks. It's not. It's relatively small. And so, you know, while, yes, the beacon has tremendous potential for like vertical reach if it's preventing mob spawns vertically and you put it at the bottom of the world, then that means your entire cave is spawn-proof all the way up to the surface and beyond. But if you don't take that into account, if you're just looking at horizontal radius, you can spawn-proof the radius of a beacon with a handful of torches. I'm talking, like, less than half a stack, probably, like, less than 16. I'd say, like, 9 or 10 torches might be enough. And so I feel like stuff like this seems like a relatively lackluster idea in the wake of lighting changes from 1.18. I think the only advantage to it being, yes, you could drill a hole straight through the rock straight downwards and leave a beacon at the bottom of the world and then 50 block radius vertically upwards forever is spawn proof so you don't have to find and light up all of those caves but then what are you doing that for like ultimately what does that do because a 50 block radius is not all that much when the mob spawning radius is still 128 blocks from the player so in order to create a spawn-proof area that you'd use for a farm, so you leave one area in the center of this mob spawn-proof area 
you know, you leave it, you leave that one small patch with the ability to spawn mobs. You're going to need nine beacons in order to do that, more or less. Like you're going to need a lot of a lot of that radius to be spawn proof with beacons, and fifty blocks is not going to cut it. Not only that, but if you're using that beacon spawn proofing mechanic to spawn proof your base, more often than not, your base is going to be larger than a fifty block radius, and beyond that you've also got to have beacons that create beams of light that reach build height like it's not a very subtle thing you're also going to have to spend a lot of resources priming those beacons with the full tier four that they need to reach a radius of 50 blocks because if you just have nine blocks of iron and a beacon on top of it the radius only reaches 20 blocks away so i, I really feel like people overestimate how powerful beacons are when it comes to the mob spawning radius idea i think Beacons would need a lot of retooling in order for that to present anything remotely useful to a player on a we just set this up and it's good kind of basis. Like, I think you need to be farming beacons at that stage. And for the average player, a beacon is still a pretty intense thing to get hold of. The average player fighting the wither is not necessarily going to be cheesing it under the bedrock portal. If you think about the implications for bedrock edition players who have a much tougher wither fight, I feel like it's something that has a very limited use case if you keep it tied to beacons. Um, so yeah, personally, I, I don't, I don't rate the idea as as much as like it sounds better than I think it practically would work. I wonder what I would prefer: farming nine beacons or mining out a like a a, a radius for a like farm. a perimeter, yeah, like uh -huh. a perimeter for a farm, especially given that we're in. 118 now like yeah i don't know i like I, I kind of i guess it would depend like if you don't mind all the beacon beams and you have the skills to fight the wither and you don't mind it then then it might be the way to go yeah um yeah i don't know i like I, I, it's one of those things where like I, I i can see both being rewarding like seeing that giant perimeter it looks cool you know, like I just, there's a sense of achievement too, especially if you're doing it in survival and everybody knows that, that when you're done, like there's a lot of people that, that might be following your work. If you're a content creator going like, wow, okay, that, that's some props to you. That is some hard work there, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a very middleman kind of idea this, because I think technical players might even be against the idea of being able to just instantly create a mob spawn proof radius because a lot of the time they have more creative solutions to that and they get to use a bit more of their own knowledge in doing it whereas if it was just as simple as setting up a beacon and popping down a new item on it give or take obviously the the stress that you go through obtaining the beacon obtaining this item that might be guarded by the warden and so forth i think that sort of cheapens the amount of effort that the technical community can put into more impressive mob farms like this and, and optimizing mob farms suddenly it cuts out a lot of work for the average player and by the same token kind of leads to the technical community's efforts feeling like pointless you know like it's it's an interesting balance to strike i think for a variety of gameplay styles it could work but i still don't know if beacons are the right idea to follow through with for for something like that i get that they're static though so you can you can set up a beacon that it's it's only in one place rather that it's it's not as easy to move as like the mega torches are in in modded and so forth so i mean it, it has potential but i still think there's a couple of pretty major problems with it let's move on to the second email though this one comes in from finnacry uh, the subject is hybrid survival slash creative for a busy guy 
Hi, Joel and Pix. I know you like short emails, so I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm a busy adult who only gets to play for a couple of hours on the weekend. I run a server for some of my friends, but I'm basically the only one who consistently plays. Recently, I've started swapping to creative mode as a way to finish up projects quickly, as I'm a super late game, mostly working on this village build, but I can't imagine having to spend hours grinding for resources. I then swap back to survival for other projects, or when I go exploring, I'm also not above teleporting around the map. What are your thoughts on this? A part of me feels bad for cheating, but another part feels like, well, at least I'm making progress and having fun. Do you have any other ideas for a busy guy who rarely gets to play? Finnacry suffocated underground after using a teleport command and lost all his netherite. Yeah, the teleport command... I, As an admin on the Citadel, I use it to travel around and take screenshots sometimes uh or if i'm trying to like check things on the server like i don't just play in survival to go check a problem somewhere like if someone says oh we're having a lot of lag in this area i just teleport that to that area um but a lot of the times i end up um knowing what that area is and teleporting myself like at y100 so like i'm up mm -hmm. in the sky uh in the middle of doing something but uh to to address i think the immediate problem that you might be facing um i i think that uh command blocks which we have in the game to teleport around in the citadel in different areas uh which also may have easier access to resources helps our busy community on the server and i mean busy i mean like adults that have kids and lives and jobs um if everyone can teleport then you're not taking advantage of something as an administrator so if you discuss it with the people on the server and you say hey what if we built this network of of command blocks and then you can dress them up however you want we've made these little portals that have buttons on them so it looks like you're going through a magical port portal but you're just kind of pressing a button um but it it does help i find after a while with the suspension of disbelief and and allowing people to travel ten thousand blocks without having to go through the nether without having to build that path without having to worry about that kind of stuff and it just allows for more fun to happen and because everybody's agreed on it it's a sandbox game so it's not cheating you know like we're yeah. just we're using things that are in the game uh, and and it's fine um the other bit of advice that i can share with you in terms of time saving and things like that are data packs. Uh, we have several data packs on the Citadel specifically meant to speed up certain aspects of the game that can take precious time away from your gaming session. A good example would be the log to wood crafting recipes with some ratio tweaks uh, in the stone cutter that I made. And I used crafting.thedestruction.ca, uh, destruction spelt with a seven I zero N, uh, it's super easy to use. You can make yourself a crafting recipe um, and it'll help you with getting through some of those grindy resources, like being able to smelt rotten flesh into leather is another good one. Um, it just kind of saves on the traditional Minecraft way of getting things. For me, I was going through so many spruce trap doors that I was just constantly farming spruce. It was getting boring. And so I increased the yield and the ease of crafting trapdoors by creating a custom recipe that's in this log to wood uh, in the stone cutter. And I mean, I still have to farm the wood. I, I don't get free stuff. I still have to come up with the resources, but the resources are just a little bit more balanced. I try to make it make sense. You know, like I don't get a dozen trapdoors from one plank. You know, I think it's four or something like that. So it's a mm -hmm. higher yield, but it's not like gangbusters. And, and I think that that's a, allowed us a better 
balance because um it, it helps with players that don't have a lot of time the hard part is remembering what data packs we have <laughs> mm-hmm. and and not crafting things the the old-fashioned way which you can still do those recipes aren't removed so that's the other thing that's nice about data packs is that if somebody doesn't want to play that way they can just make things the old-fashioned way you yeah. know on vanilla way on on a crafting table and get one last stare than you do and that's fine they can you know they can play how they want yeah absolutely and i think playing how you want is really the whole point of this like it Mm -hmm. it sounds Mm -hmm. like you've got the right sort of attitude if you're saying well at least i'm making progress and having fun if it would just be mind-numbingly boring for you to spend the precious few gaming hours you get just chopping wood (laughs) like if you're not into that then i honestly think it's it's fine for you to be doing what you're doing as long as everybody else who plays on your server is okay with it i think the only problem with cheating in Minecraft in a sandbox game comes down to whether you are misrepresenting that to other people and if other people aren't okay with you doing it. Like, if you said, I built all of this in survival, but no, you actually built half of it in creative, then you're just lying to yourself and to the people you're sharing it with at that stage. But if you've got some friends who play and they all kind of recognize, yeah, you don't have a great deal of time to play, but you're putting up this server for us and you want to pursue Minecraft as more of a creative thing where you get to build cool stuff, then then go for it. Like, I, I don't think they would have a, a problem with that, depending on the kind of friends that you have. So I can't yeah. really speak for them. But yeah. I do think it's it's nice to have the option of doing that. And as long as you aren't giving yourself an unfair advantage over other players, if you're playing like in a competitive sense or something, I really don't see the problem with it. I'm struggling to remember the name of the mod, but there was a mod suggested on my stream one weekend about uh, a third person camera. So it essentially creates like a camera account or allows you to fly around yourself without flying in the air. You can't actually place anything. You just kind of um, float around so you can look at your different builds. Uh, yeah. Free cam, I think is the name of it. I'll grab the link here. Um, but Tw- that kind Twikaru. of stuff. Tweakaroo has something similar. Similar? Gives, gives okay. a, a face cam, a, along with a bunch of other things that you can add into vanilla Minecraft. But uh, yeah, free cam is, is definitely a feature of Tweakaroo. Right on. Uh, and so again, like that's something that you could look at uh, in agreement with other players to say like if you um, either don't have Elytra or not all pe- people do and they find it frustrating to build stuff and that takes away from their gaming experience, you can add that in. Well, the way that we did it on the Citadel, because they're all tight friends of mine, um, we have a, a helipad in the modern city and when you press it, it puts you into creative mode. The only reason we didn't put it in spectator mode is because there's no way to press the button again yeah. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to remove yourself. Um, but we just kind of operate on on the um, the idea that as you're using it, you're only going to be flying around to look at the buildings because it's really hard to build skyscrapers in Minecraft and not be able to fly around and look at them. And even with Elytra, you're just moving constantly. So outside of putting you know, platforms everywhere in the world to look at stuff. It just made sense. And it's kind of a little bit of an RP thing. And um, Alistair, my server mate, actually had a sound effect that he would play on his soundboard when he used it. It would be like the helicopter noise. So it sounded Mm -hmm. like he was doing his stream from inside of a helicopter, which was really funny. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. And I think, honestly, options like this wouldn't be exposed to players if Mojang didn't intend for us to have access to them, right? So I, I really think it comes down to your own personal preferences in this case and if it's you know your own way of playing the world and you're not using it like i said to gain an unfair advantage over anybody i i don't see the problem in having a hybrid survival and creative thing at all i think a certain 
faction of the Minecraft community will, like, try and shame you for not doing everything in survival, I think the viewpoint is absurd, personally. And that's as somebody yeah. who is, like, pretty much a full-time survival player. I don't see the need to restrict yourself to one form of playing the game if time doesn't allow you to get the most out of that, and if that's not what makes the experience fun for you. For goodness sake, have fun in Minecraft. <laughs> like, that's what I, yeah. I just want to shake people sometimes and be like, do what is fun! Because that's <laughs> that's really what this is about. This is why we're playing a video game. And, I mean, if you're old enough to be concerned about this, then you're old enough to tell those players to get off your lawn, as far, yeah. <laughs> as, far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I pop into creative all the time to take screenshots for thumbnails on Twitter and, and Twitch and YouTube and stuff. And sometimes I forget that I'm in creative when I start a stream and I'm walking around going, oh, crap, I'm not hungry because I'm in creative mode. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. And and so I have to explain that I'm the admin and I take screenshots and stuff like that. But I'm also not above getting way up in the sky after the build is finished and getting ready to take a screenshot and seeing one block that I forgot to place. Like I changed the roof from deep slate to oak and I left one deep slate tile. I am going down there and I am changing that block in creative. Mm -hmm, I, yeah. It doesn't bother me in the slightest because yeah, yeah. the idea of going out of creative mode getting down into my stuff pillaring up to the roof changing the block pillaring back down only to get back up and take another screenshot nope yeah. not happening you know like <laughs> just you, there are some things that you just kind of accept is like look i built 99.9 percent .9 of this in survival i'm okay to move a block it's yeah, fine it's it's not like that's the kind of thing that you couldn't have done in other circumstances right yeah it, it's it's silly um but thinking about um you know what makes the game fun for us this is a topic i wanted to bring and uh, it's only really come up because I remembered something that people pointed out to me on one of my streams. There is a Japanese uh, player who is normally a horror video creator, but has a Minecraft Let's Play in which he is playing through Minecraft for the first time, knowing nothing about the game, not looking it up on the Minecraft wiki, and not like reading the comments on his YouTube videos or the stuff that people might send him on Twitter he's playing minecraft entirely unspoiled and i wanted to discuss that a little bit and as a show with a lot of minecraft discussion and an emphasis on you know the development cycle of the game and so forth it's hard for us to stay unspoiled about minecraft updates um but there are people who like to stay unspoiled about certain aspects of the game whether it's not playing the snapshots until the full release comes out or what hermitcraft have recently done in their start to season nine where somebody else selected the seed for this season for them so none of them had seen the terrain of the world when they logged in they were all seeing the world for the first time and in Piropito's case um you know not having any information about minecraft whatsoever and i was thinking you know we could use this as an exercise to think about you know if we weren't making this show would we try to go in unspoiled for more of the experience of minecraft or would we still be looking up the wiki and the reddit and all of these sources of information online to find out our approach to the game and what we would want to look for next yeah, that's tough yeah. i <laughs> it is tough it ties back into that feeling of you know if you could play minecraft again for the first time would you like i know a lot of people feel immensely nostalgic for a time when they didn't know a great deal about minecraft and the magic of all of this stuff unfolding in front of them but i'd say i honestly have a better time exploring new stuff in minecraft with the foundation of knowledge that i already have than i would do completely forgetting all of the stuff i knew about minecraft and going back into it and learning it all again mostly because the amount of information about what's in the game has basically doubled since i started playing it um but yeah i i think the idea of going in unspoiled to stuff like if we 
stopped doing the show and I stopped making YouTube content and so forth and I was just a casual Minecraft player, would I want to look up any of this information beforehand? I think that's a harder question to answer. I don't know about looking it up beforehand. I know that I would probably end up getting frustrated not being able to figure something out of the game and then turn mm -hmm. to the wiki or turn to looking it up online. It's kind of hard to avoid the fact that Minecraft knowledge is out there. Um, I, I would say that most video games, like it's same with Satisfactory, like you can't figure something out yourself. You try it a couple of times on merit and then you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I am done beating my head against this wall. I would like to go and, and learn on the internet how to do this properly and save myself some time. Um, I mean, I, I guess a lot of it comes up to individuals because like I really don't like spoilers in media, like story based mm -hmm. media really drives me nuts. I had a there was a big moment in Game of Thrones that was spoiled by a piece of art that I saw on ArtStation and I was mad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was foaming. I was so mad um, because there was no warning. And and that that to me is just, you know, inconsiderate. But when it comes to a game like Minecraft, like. I It's funny that this is the topic that you chose this week because. I had a weird bit of deja vu where we've had some warmer weather here recently and that smell of like melting snow and mud and grass that kind of percolates when it starts to warm up. Um, I started playing Minecraft in March of one year, like five years ago, four years, six years ago. And I, I remember kind of like that smell while I was experiencing the game for like the very first time, like falling mm. into pits, dying, Steven laughing at me. Like just, I remember that feeling and then spending a lot of hours, you know, trying to sort out how to navigate the game and how big it felt at the time and how small that valley is that I was playing in mm -hmm. compared to what I know about the game now. Like the thought of traveling 10,000 blocks, not even, I wouldn't even have bothered, you know, back yeah. then. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, it would be a really fun experience. But at the same time, I kind of wonder, like, because Mojang is such a, a collab, not a collaborative, but because they work with the community so closely in terms of feedback and snapshots and stuff like that. Um, I don't know that it would be beneficial to you. Like, I, I wonder if not knowing the hype is is good like i wonder if the features land as heavily you know like for example i guess the warden is a good example if you don't know about the warden like is that going to make you mad is that gonna is that going to be something that you just go in guns blazing and then realize very quickly that was a bad idea yeah uh you know and is that going to be really frustrating to the point where you walk away from the game for the rest of the day <laughs> uh, you know is that the experience that mojang wants you to have or do they want you to go in a little bit more informed and try to sneak around and try to be scared and spooky and and you know if you take it slow it's scarier than going in guns blazing and getting one shot in 30 seconds you know yeah um, this, so that's this is, tough this is also a discussion about intuitive mechanics versus esoteric mechanics the kind of stuff that you right. basically have to be told what to do and the stuff that you can encounter naturally throughout the course of gameplay and makes perfect sense like i mean we use the example all the time but the fact that you didn't know how to build a nether portal without looking it up or somebody from the community telling you and then they added ruined nether portals into the game more recently and that's at least a a helpful way of guiding players in the right direction um, to use Pirapito as an example, he started in 1.12, and so watching his early videos, it's so fascinating seeing oceans that don't have ocean life in basically at all. There's like a couple of squid and that's it, um, and, and it's it's an interesting blast from the past. But 
he doesn't know how enchanting works. Like, he has enchanted tools because he figured out from the recipe book how to make an enchanting table. He's also got a massive villager trading hall that's built in the sky, has hundreds of villagers, and has enchanted tools as a result of that, either traded or, you know, he's bought books from the uh, librarians and figured out that that's what you do with an anvil. But he doesn't know about the bookshelf connection for enchanting tables. His enchanting table is just in his storage room on its own because he doesn't know that you need to put bookshelves around it in order to boost the level of the enchantment. And because that's not signposted anywhere in the game, there is no, you know, distinction drawn anywhere that says the bookshelves are going to help you with this and you don't find enchanting tables naturally in a woodland mansion where there's library bookshelves or anything like that or in a stronghold where bookshelves would generate naturally so it's it's really interesting but then there is stuff that he will find very intuitively watching his most recent episode which was basically when 1.18 came out he had a giant perimeter dug out to bedrock around this area where he's got the villager trading hall. He logs in and goes, oh, okay, I guess the terrain's pretty much the same. Um, like, the area that I'm in looks fine. He goes down to the floor of this bedrock area and goes, wait a minute, that's not the unbreakable block anymore. That's Is that deep slate? And he starts digging down. He's like, how far can I dig down now? The world is way deeper than it was before. He finds that out, digs all the way down, looks at this Y coordinate and goes, oh, okay, so the world is in increased in depth by 64 blocks. I wonder if it got higher and then he does the same thing but in reverse and so you're you're kind of you're driven to these assumptions and he's not looking at the enchantments level to see like the new enchantments like you know trade with a villager at the build limit or whatever he's actually going through and almost scientifically <laughs> experimenting with some of this stuff in order to figure it out but there are some mechanics that still remain esoteric enough like the way enchanting works that he's not able to figure them out on his own and isn't going to understand that unless by coincidence he decides to decorate the area with an enchanting table and he's taking a fairly technical approach to the game he's not building for aesthetics as far as i can see so a lot of the time you know everything looks very functional in his world and so he hasn't decided to put an enchanting table in a library setting and then realize that there's, you know, particles coming towards the enchantment table to increase the level of the enchantment. Did he, did he mine the deep slate without knowing what it was? Or did he look at it and somehow know it was deep slate? Like, I presume that he's been exploring enough in 117 to find deep slate in other caves. Like, this is the ah, thing. I've, I've watched maybe right. the first six episodes and the most recent one of his series. So I'm right, still trying, okay. to, trying to figure out, like, the progression of some of this stuff. And I'm most looking forward, I think, to the transition to the update Aquatic just because of, like, oh, wow, there are crazy things in the ocean now um but yeah like that that's a really intriguing approach to the game to me and does highlight the areas where people need like a bit of a helping hand from somebody who already knows this stuff or the information directly from mojang when they have you know video explainers or articles or snapshot change logs which say this is how this specific mechanic works and that's kind of a curious aspect to me the other thing that really comes to mind, though, is how much of Minecraft as an experience, for me in particular, was about joining a community. And I think by communicating with other players so closely, that's when you start to pick up some stuff. You know, you join a multiplayer yeah. server, you, you know, you just go looking for other community creations, and then you naturally find that stuff without necessarily having to 
you know have twitch chat backseat game and tell you how to do stuff or you know have your hand held through a lot of the stuff or be taught it directly i feel like you still learn stuff in an organic way but you learn it through a lot more of the natural process of being part of a community for a game like this i would imagine that um piro pito has youtube comments off or just doesn't read them uh, it doesn't read uh, them as far as i can yeah, tell yeah yeah because uh, I, I my first thought is like man everybody in the community that, that i can think of on youtube is just jumping in and telling him what to oh, do yeah That's in, uh, in a very condescending way a lot of the time from what oh, i've seen yeah but... no i don't imagine it's a nice nice scene i does he stream because that would also be a landmine twitch chat nightmare yeah. for mods <laughs> and it's supposed to be spoiler free like just no i'm I'm fairly certain that he's recording this in his own time, and and mm, if he mm-hmm. if he does stream, then I expect yeah he just wouldn't read the Twitch chat at all. Yeah, blind blind you, stream. You're, you're gonna get people who go in and try and spoil you for stuff just as part of the fun, not even trying to help necessarily, just trying to ruin like the the idea that you're doing this project in the first place, just because people tend to act in that kind of chaotic way where they just want to spoil somebody yeah. else's idea. Well, or even just like in in good faith, like, oh my gosh, you're so new. I can't wait until you get to this point. And yeah, then exactly. they would have no idea that that point even existed. Like, what's an ocean monument? Why did yeah. you mention that? Like, yeah, so that that would be that would be very tough. I believe at the point where he's at, though, he's gone to the end and has beaten the dragon. <laughs> so, wow. like, at some point, right, the first six episodes of this, he he finds he finds a village he you know kills a slime but he's still using a stick as a weapon because he he doesn't know like that much about crafting yet he hasn't quite figured out the left click to break stuff right click to interact thing so he hasn't done a great deal of crafting hasn't figured out how to make tools i expect he's maybe going to trade them with villagers or find them rather than explore the crafting interface too much but he he beats a slime and he gets like slime balls and stuff and it's so weird to me seeing somebody who has gotten hold of slime balls before they've even learned to craft a pickaxe yeah and so it's it's such a unique and interesting and organic feeling approach to the game which wouldn't necessarily be everybody's experience because there are other people might have different tu- in like they they have intuition from playing other survival games for example but it seems like right. he hasn't really taken in anything else from the genre of survival games even starting to play the game in what 2016 i guess like uh, maybe a little bit after like it, it's fascinating to see somebody who's been untouched by the majority of gaming experiences so that even the idea of crafting a pickaxe doesn't immediately occur to him when he's playing a survival game. Mm. When uh, when you were playing, I think it was with your brother-in-law and getting them into Minecraft, what, did you find you had to bite your tongue a lot to not like guide them, hand, like hold their hand the whole way? I think at this point I'd done enough of the tutorial aspect of this that I, I understand people's desire to take the game at their own pace. And so I was trying mm-hmm. to have him lead the experience a lot more and saying right. like, you know, okay, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't really know what I can do in this game. And then I'd try and, you know, prompt him a couple of ways, but you'd be like, you know, do you want to go caving? Do you want to maybe fight some stuff? Should we try and get geared up with some better armor so we can defend ourselves? And, you know, he'd just throw himself into whatever. But I wasn't kind of saying, well, there's this thing called the Ender Dragon and that's our goal and we have to beat that. Like I was trying to take that like more of one step at a time. Um, right. But yeah, just just exploring the world around you to start off with, I feel like is a, is a very sensible way to begin playing the game in the first place. And like you said, since, you know, plot spoilers are the things that most people are worried about, Minecraft doesn't have a plot or a story or dialogue, really. I feel like all of the spoilers are experiences, and so I didn't want to clue him into 
any of the stuff that's like coming up. I, I didn't want to spring the nether on him or explain the nether verbally before we got to actually see it for ourselves because that's a big part of the game. It's a massive shift in what the landscape around you looks like and the feeling of dread and everything being fiery and there's lava everywhere, which by that point you probably know is dangerous. And even after reading about stuff like that online and discussing it at length with you on the show, there's still some experiences in Minecraft that I feel like I can go into unspoiled for the first time, like my first time doing a, a stream where we found the Deep Dark and went to, you know, find the Warden and everything. Like, that stuff from a first time you're in the game yourself gameplay experience, I don't know if you could spoil, really, except for yourself, because even having seen video evidence of what all of this stuff looked like, it has an air of mystery and dread around it that you can only really get from being in the game, facing it down yourself at that stage. Yeah, I don't find that even having watched your playthrough of, of the Warden Encounter spoiled it for me, you know? Like, mm. I, I needed to see it for the show. I wanted to talk about it, but I still don't think that that will take anything away from me experiencing it firsthand in game. I certainly hope not because it's it's worth doing firsthand. Yeah. And, oh, for sure. And and I feel like that's also part and parcel of the way Minecraft works as a procedurally generated game because whether, you know, I, I stumble into this ancient city one way, you're going to find a completely different layout of a structure in a completely different location at a different time with different equipment and all of the variables add up to it feeling like a unique experience still. So I think elements like that, yeah, you can't necessarily spoil it for yourself just by seeing somebody else's side of things because your experience is always going to feel very different. Totally. In terms of the way Hermitcraft have done things, though, like that, that approach spoke to me quite a bit. And, and I, I wonder if it's, if it's the same kind of thing for you because they're going in without any prior knowledge of the world. And like when when you updated the Citadel and you were looking for 118 areas, like you said, you, you looked around for a while to try and find, you know, an, a location to warp out to. Did you look that up on like amidst or anything beforehand? Were you looking for a specific biome or were you actually flying around in game looking for that stuff? Oh, no, we were we were looking on amidst. Um, specifically for things like the medieval area and all the different build zones um, for, for practical reasons. We didn't want to load all the chunks in between yeah. um, to that, to then just have to trim them again uh, later. I mean, it would end up being in a fairly straight line or be pretty easy to spot. Oh, there's where Joel flew to find the place. Um, but because the way that we've trimmed the chunks, think about the current areas on the Citadel as like, their own kind of continents, whether or not they're surrounded by water. Although most of my chunk trimming does go through the oceans because it, it's the easiest way to do that um, without causing problems. Uh, one of the things that that is beneficial for is if someone doesn't want to travel all the way to the medieval area to see new chunks or whatever, or to the 118 zone, if they do want to just travel, you know, a six or eight chunks away from their base if their base happens to be on the edge of the current you know older chunks then they'll find new content immediately mm -hmm. right so that's why we wanted to leave all the space in between those zones kind of unspoiled and we've had conversations um as things get closer to updates to say like hey the next couple of months is not the time to travel four thousand blocks or fourteen thousand blocks in any given direction just for fun you yeah. know let's let's wait until the new the new update hits and then we'll go and do that you know, 
uh, in a different area, mainly because it does cut down on the amount of work for me. Um, but one of the things that we were looking for um, in terms of using things like amidst were way back when we started the Citadel, we were using maps to find a location in a in a in a seed that meant that a variety of biomes that we all wanted to start off close by um, were not terribly far away. You know, desert, dark oak forest birch forest, flower fort. Like we just kind of wanted all the things without having to travel super far afield. We also wanted to make sure that there were some relatively close things like a badlands and an ice spikes and ocean monument. So, cause there were things that I had played uh, on a world for three or four months previous. There are things that I was missing cause I had back then in one eleven. um, I had created a world with big biomes. So like trying to find even just a place where I could get a jungle was, I, was I don't think I don't think I ever found one. No, like I don't think I ever found one. Right. Cause I was looking for vines and I was looking for all kinds of stuff. And so like, there's, it was just hard. Um, swamp was another thing that I couldn't find. Um, so I didn't have slimes. Like it took, it took me forever to find sticky pistons. Right. Cause then back then it was like the luck of the draw that you'd find a slime chunk. I didn't know mm-hmm. that you could look them up online. So, so that kind of stuff, we, we kind of looked ahead with the Citadel and that was just to, to tie back to Zettel's email, but like being busy, you know, busy adults, yeah. you don't want to spend a lot of time searching for something blindly. And if you want to build a guardian farm, you want to make sure that there's at least one close by, or mm-hmm. if our mission is to do the dragon, I think, I think we didn't look for a stronghold. I think we just kind of like that happened organically. Yeah. Um, or when we do stuff like that, it's more like. We know the general vicinity, but you still try to find it the vanilla way, whether it's a stronghold or I, a Mac cast found our first woodland mansion. And that was a fun thing to do together. But mm-hmm. that was a van- he found that the vanilla way. We didn't look that up on a map because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't explored that far away. It was really far away. Yeah. He used a villager map to, to find it. So stuff like that we, we did organically. Um, the admin side of things for me, I unfortunately get spoiled where I'm setting up a new area or I am checking to see where chunks have trimmed in the game properly. And then I end up finding like, oh, there's another fortress right there. I had no idea that was there, but now I do. And I can't unknow that because I'm not changing it because that's, you know, that's part of what the new update has given us. And so that kind of stuff, I just kind of take it like, well, it's a bit of a tax that I pay as being the admin on the server and making sure that everybody's having a good time. Um, There has been moments when I've been, taking screenshots and flipping into spectator mode to like hide my shadow. And I've like accidentally ducked into a mountain as I back up and then realize, Oh, there's a geode right there. Yeah. And I just like crap, like it would have been more fun to find that organically, but I can't avoid it. Uh, And honestly, like if I don't make a mental note or if I just see it and go, okay, look, if I don't really stare at it too long, I'm not going to remember where it is. And when you're seeing something that that's, far away underground like you don't really know exactly where you'd have to dig down in vanilla to to, to yeah, find yeah exactly it, you know back in survival so so i kind of just you know shrug that kind of stuff off i do kind of cringe when i find things like that especially if it's something like spawners or uh if i stumbled upon uh a fortress another not a fortress a um stronghold i'd be just like ah oh, darn it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I know this is here, I really want to go to it because it would be a convenient way to get to the end. But um, that's only ever happened once, and it ends up it ended up being in chunks that we ended up trimming, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but that kind of stuff I do find a little bit harder. Um, the thing that I think I've spoiled the most for me is the caves and cliffs update part two. 
uh, in that zone, I had to go and find a place to set it up. Uh, Cosmic went and looked uh, for various locations. And then I went in game to see if they were suitable. She had found the biomes and coordinates. And because everyone had a list of things that they wanted, mountains, lush cave, dripstone cave, and you can't see lush caves and dripstone caves from the top down maps yet, mm-hmm. um, as far as I'm concerned or, or, or aware, um, I had to go look in person. So then I found all those kind of things in creative mode flying around. So I knew kind of where things were. I tried not to explore too far, but it you're just kind of like, well, now that I, now that I know. But the trade-off there is that now we can all play in the same location together with all the biomes that everyone wanted access to without being miles and miles and miles apart because at that point just play on a single player server right yeah yeah and and i think for you guys it's not necessarily about the first time experience either like it's it's obviously it's nice to have that as an element but then it comes down to okay we're a, a community of players on a server what can we do with all of this together like that's the rewarding part of it more mm-hmm. so than you know, you know, seeing a dripstone cave in your world for the first time, um, and I think it's it's neat the the approach Hermitcraft is taking because without any prior knowledge of the world, you don't end up picking a biome and going, "I'm going to build my base here." I really wanted a desert this time. I really wanted a badlands this time, and flying out there immediately, or you know, running out there, boating out there, however you travel in the early game, and like building a big base in a far-off biome where you're super far away from each other if you've all logged in and you haven't got any idea where anything is it encourages community collaboration people don't have those sorts of plans you build things up based more on reacting to the terrain around you and on instinct and it encourages people to stick together more because the people that they're building with are going to be familiar even if the terrain itself isn't so i think that's kind of a neat way of approaching a server is not knowing too much about stuff going in because then if you're just playing on a standard smp then it's going to be a collaborative experience and a lot of it allows you to keep the community aspect fairly focused if we ever restarted the citadel never say never i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon but if if that becomes something where we wanted to do it i could see us going with a blind seed mm-hmm yeah, I, I could see that being, especially because everybody at that point would have a lot of Minecraft knowledge and it wouldn't be that much of a of a slowdown. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did the same with the survival guide world this season. I didn't want to know what it was to the point where I wouldn't even pick a seed number that was going to be, you know, would parallel on Bedrock Edition for 32-bit seeds because I didn't want to have that idea that I had selected it in any way. <laughs> and I didn't want the knowing the seed to then bring up like oh i could probably look this up beforehand i i i wanted a more organic experience of looking around and it felt more authentic to avoid looking around until i had elytra and had the ability to fly or you know if i was traveling by boat i'd at least experience everything from the ground and so i wouldn't get that top-down view and be able to see for miles for where the next biome over was it's all you know the terrain conceals that stuff I'm at the point now where I'm considering looking at chunk base or amidst for where to find biomes, but it's mostly because the series is reaching a point where I want to do some more technical stuff, I want to work with different types of material, but I don't want to completely destroy a desert to farm sand for concrete or TNT because I might want to build a base there at some stage, and so far it's the only substantial desert I've found. 
And since deserts seem relatively rare in the radius that I have searched, I'm kind of hoping that I'll find another desert organically just by flying around, or I'll maybe load up chunk base or amids to find another desert in that world so that I can then strip that desert down for sand, have a nether portal out there, use it as a mining desert, and feel a little bit happier about the fact that I can preserve the desert where I already planned a couple of projects. But that's really it as far as spoilers for that world. Really, I, I want to still have, like, yeah, again, going back to, to Zettel's email, I, I want to be able to have a bit more time to create the content that I want to make without all of the time spent searching for that stuff. But I'm still not opposed to searching for it if that means a more fun gameplay experience for me. And those are the aspects of the game at which I can still remain relatively unspoiled, and that's the stuff that makes it fun for me. Um, mm. And I, I don't know, as far as like the 1.19 and beyond of it all goes, I'm not sure if individual biomes like that changing a bit at a time when we've got mangrove swamps coming in and maybe in future updates to badlands and deserts and stuff. I don't know how much of that I'm really going to want to hang on for my survival world to update rather than go out and visit one of those biomes in a creative world you know in a, a survival world that i've just whipped up in a snapshot for the sake of going and finding one of those in person i think i would like to be able to do that kind of stuff but part of me is still curious <laughs> part of me still wants to explore some of that stuff because then i know what i'm going to do with it when it ends up in a world where i already have a lot more purpose in mind with the stuff that I'm doing. Like if you if you think about it, Minecraft breaks down into three sort of stages of experience with something, which are like a superficial stage where you're just seeing it for the first time. You get your first impressions of something, you, you get to take in how it looks. And then a second stage where you figure out what it does. You know, if it's a wood type, what does it break down into? What can I craft out of it? All of that kind of stuff. And then a third stage where you're like, now I know what it does, how can that contribute to my overall game experience and it becomes a lot more about can i use this to farm stuff does this have any special properties that kind of thing and i like to be at that third stage with new with new stuff in a world where i've already reached that stage with everything else so if i'm already building end game kind of style farms i need to know if any of the new stuff is going to benefit me there so that i can make those farms more effective or i can leverage new mechanics so that i'm doing more interesting stuff with that right off the bat instead of having to you know learn all of the mechanics of some of this newer stuff from scratch before i can figure out if anything's going to slot into the way the rest of the world feels for me right now and i think that might be an interesting difference between pre-recorded content cre creation that's edited versus streaming stuff live yeah yeah so because currently i don't have time to edit down let's plays for youtube i do post my vods on on the youtube channel uh, but because of that i'm okay with just like going into a stream blind and just like all right 118 here we go uh or 117 i guess like what do can we find a geode like what is what does amethyst do you know that kind of stuff um and i mean i did a, a snapshot series when that was coming out but like i'm i would be totally fine with just going into the citadel um and again advantage end game you know elytra rockets food like i just i can go and find stuff and, and explore it um but i do find there's an interesting learning curve uh dripstone for example like trying to figure out okay i found dripstone i know how to make more dripstone we have to wait for it to happen but that's fine we can build other things while that thing grows 
Uh, but now that I have some, what can I do with it? Can I make it into roofs? Does it work with what blocks? Like I really enjoy experiencing that organically in the game. I didn't go watch a YouTube video that was 10 minutes long and said, here are the best ways to use dripstone in mm -hmm, 1 in yeah. 18, right? So, cause I, I like experiencing that myself. Um, one thing I will say uh, to put a, kind of like a positive note on some of the uh, exploration, you know, we'll say spoilers loosely, uh, the Zero's minimap and Zero's map mod, world map mod that I use on the Citadel for the top down view, which has aided me greatly in planning the city, I find inspirational. I will look at the way that the plains biome kind of bleeds gently into the taiga forest that surrounds, and I will immediately see, oh, there's a natural spot for a road that could travel south. That's that's the best place to put that. That actually makes a lot of sense for the landscape. Whereas a player that can't see it from the top down or isn't even concerned about that might be just as, you know... Um, we'll say motivated to just make a straight line or even just like, even if you add a little bit of curve to it, you're more than likely going to be cutting down a lot of trees and it may not look like the most natural. And I really like the fact that the map through uh, colors and tones gives you topographical information. So mm -hmm. you can look down and see where the valleys are. So you're like, okay, um, would this road be better on the top of the ridge or would it make more sense that the, you know, point less traveled friction less friction would be the valley so the road would go through the low point and and i find that knowing that not at the world at large but in my immediate build area informs where i'm building things and it makes uh i feel more aesthetic builds because they're flowing into one another nicely in terms of my city and my roads and things like that so having that top down spoiler uh i find also informative and, and inspirational not just like peeking around the corner you know it's it's a lot more in depth for me than that yeah yeah and tools like that can be really interesting in terms of the balance they bring to exploration as an experience and taking things out of that first person viewpoint but still allowing you to experience the stuff that is going to be right in front of you um this is a really cool discussion and i'd love to continue it in the comments or in emails if anybody has their own perspective on this kind of stuff it'd be great to hear from folks in the community what do you consider a spoiler for minecraft at this point and if you're listening to this show then you probably had a fair amount of stuff spoiled for you at least verbally do you care? Do you skip over the news section of this show and just get to the discussion? Or are you more interested in deep diving all of this stuff before it arrives in the game proper? Let us know. Uh, but for now, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where joining our community gets you and invites to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in things like live show recordings and the monthly Minecraft audio hangout. We've also, as Joel mentioned at the top of the show, got a quarterly hangout coming out uh, sometime in April. We're currently at 329 patrons, which is down 9 from last week. Usually happens around the beginning of each month. Last week's Patreon count was 338, but we are still above the threshold for the March Minecraft Audio Hangout, so thank you all for your support. And special thanks go to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. 
Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about the Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform that helps us reach new listeners. You can email the show at spunchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spunchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which should be back as of the time of this recording, more or less. Uh, you can find us through a quick YouTube search where the Day 1 recap for Hermitcraft Season 9 should be going up soon. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelrifts on both Twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i am doing online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com you can check out the citadel cafe my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at the citadelcafe.com going to be talking about the season premiere of picard this thursday you can follow me at joel duggan on social media and joel duggan on twitch where i stream minecraft friday saturday and sunday thanks for visiting the spawn chunks spoiler alert the world outside is infinite (laughs) 